show we have some games there's some new ones uh, there's a new one i want to try out how are All you right. with movie trivia you know not great but yeah <laughs> always but always sporty for it so yeah yeah I, that was I, when i was finishing up the podcast that you did with Loomer, i was like oh shit i'm gonna get fucked on movie stuff but yeah. hey you know what but i'm i don't mind losing a game on a, on yeah. a podcast. <laughs> you are now listening to the inner circle podcast network Coming to you live from Hollywood, California, pre-recorded in the failing Hollywood studios deep in Santa Clarita, where it may be fall where you are, but for us, summer temperatures are just starting. It's failing Hollywood. I'm your host, Mikey T, as always, but not as always. We don't have all the co-hosts here, but what we do have is a special guest. We got on the show today, for the first time ever... Robert Skid Skidmore. He is the host of Below the Line Podcast. He's also a former assistant director. How's it going, Skid? Hey, Mikey. <laughs> glad to be here. Yeah. You go by Skid mostly, right? Yeah. And definitely in the context of the podcaster, it just gets confused. I have to yeah. ask people to call me Skid yeah. on my show as well. So just Skid. <laughs> Welcome on the show. So you're the co-host, or you're just the host, just the host of Below the Line Podcast, where similar like this, you like to have people on in the industry that work behind the camera. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I am the founder and host of the show, um, where we'll take a movie or a television show and then bring in crew and just tell stories from behind the set. Uh, some will explain what happened on camera, some of what was going on you know, back at base camp, and sometimes current events issues as well, as you guys cover here too, and just sort yeah. of whatever's going on with the industry, but yeah. from that perspective. Which is right now the the IA stuff, which I did want to cover real quick before we got into it. I, I, I kind of, I, I think I made it apparent last episode that this was going to be a banked episode. Um, so it is. So we may not be completely up to, to date to where we need to be, but uh, uh, I'd say we're pretty close. So I, I want to update because there was a big update from when we recorded the, the last episode. Um, and that is... Uh, Pretty much, we voted all yes, unanimously almost. What is it? I think it was 98%. Did you read that? Yeah, I saw it was a 90% uh, returns, and 98% yeah. of those were yes. Right, which 90% returns is like overwhelmingly higher vote turnout than I think IA's ever had in the history of IA, <laughs> which is pretty insane. Um, to have 98, and it was even higher than that. It was, everyone's was like, Nobody's rounding up to 99 because it was 98.68, I believe it wow. was. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. It was super insane. So yeah. it's like almost pretty much nobody voted that. And I read this morning, and this is the most fresh update that I got, that uh, uh, they were already renegotiating. Like the IA had already worked on a, a new contract to put on the table, and they've already handed it to the producers. So effectively, now the ball is kind of in their court. So I, I guess we're just playing the waiting game just to kind of see what they come back with. Yeah, being outside uh, the industry as long as I have, I'm not following probably as closely as you are, Mikey, but uh, that's my impression as well that the AMPTP folks came back to the right. table and you know if they're going to take a look at it, and that already sent just the message that the unions wanted to send. It's a pretty hard message. I mean, like I, I don't see I don't see how they could. I don't. I don't think a strike is going to happen. Um, specifically, because if you uh, put it yourself in their shoes for right now, like you're like, oh, maybe they'll fold. Maybe it will be like it might be easy to kick them around a little bit. But then when you see ninety eight percent of 
60,000 people, pretty much effectively everybody behind the camera, but with the support as of obviously the Writers Guild, the Screen Actors Guild, the DGA, uh, Local 399, the Teamsters Union, um, and that adds a little bit more to it. So the 60,000 are just the people in the IA. That doesn't even count the people that I just mentioned right there, which with that probably adds it up to a little bit over 150,000. So with that support, it's kind of hard, I think, as a producer to look at it and be like, well, we'll still win this one. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. And, and it's long overdue. I mean, that's the thing. Movies will get more expensive to make. Television will get expensive, more expensive to make. It's possible that there'll be less shows when that happens. But the cost of making a movie or television has not captured the full costs because of what it's done to the people that are behind the camera, you know, and all oh, the yeah. stories that came out and that. And that, that movies need to cost more just so that the people are properly compensated for the work that it takes to get them done. Totally. So. And you you haven't worked in the industry for a little while, is that correct? No, yeah. I was uh, active in L.A. from 98 to 2006. Came out here as okay. a PA, was DGA, and then left in 2006. Still pay my DA, still pay my DGA dues because uh, they send DVDs and get to see movie screens and such. And so I've been on the availability list, and I've done a couple of projects since then, but really just kind of here and there. Yeah, yeah. So you were based out in L.A., you said, right? That's right. Yeah, when I moved out to L.A. in 98, uh, I was just as a PA, started at the bottom, figuring out what I wanted to do. But I had just gotten out of the Air Force, where I had spent five years. Um, and uh, Did you get into the Air Force, like, s- straight out of high school, pretty much? Or? No, yeah, good question. I did ROTC in college. Okay. Um, in fact, I was an electrical engineer when I started, and I was into that about six months, and I said, fuck that, I don't really want to do this anymore. So it was, like, out of the blue? Yeah, well, I just decided I was going to switch. I, but my RTC scholarship was awarded for electrical engineering. So yeah. I switched up and decided to go poli-sci and to kind of just, because that was a little, you know, looser and, yeah. and more <laughs> my speed. And then late in uh, uh, college, I got really into the idea of working behind the camera and working movies. Oh, okay. In fact, I, um, I mean, to go back to the beginning, I was uh, one spring break, I think, I was watching uh, MTV and that REM video, Losing My Religion, came on. Oh, just, yeah. And I know I'm dating myself. Folks, go look it up. It's still probably <laughs> playing on YouTube. But uh, I just like everything, all the decision making that went into putting it together just opened up for me. And the idea of like where you put the cameras and how you're going to edit this and that just all of these sort of decisions. And, um, and I was a pretty math science heavy dude, which is why I thought engineering would be easy yeah. when I, before I got to college. Uh, but I thought, you know, to take all this practical stuff, but to do something creative with it. That's what the film industry felt like to me. And so I convinced the military to let me do combat camera. Okay, so, so that was really your first hand at doing anything with it. Did you ever make like little side videos on your own or, or anything? No, so it's just like an idea like this sounds way more fun. Can you let me do camera? <laughs> you know, I had done a lot of um, uh, sort of – I had done a lot of like writing with the creative, creative writing assignments in sure. elementary school and such. Yeah, and yeah, I course. enjoyed those aspects of sort of – putting things together, but I hadn't made any movies. Um, In college, uh, I couldn't get any of the film classes because they were crowded with arts people taking them as electives, and I wasn't an arts major at the time. Um, So I did a photography class. I went to NYU for a summer uh, to do their um, school of continuing education just to kind of bolster my resume. And then when I was in the Air Force, I was essentially, as an officer, a producer-director. And um, we trained uh, combat camera. We trained to provide audiovisual... uh, products in a threat environment. Basically, did, did you? So when you got into that, did you like? Do they come with a crew? Like, do they put a crew together, or are you like a one man band? So we had a crew. So um, 
I was stationed at my first three years were at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Okay. And um, our primary job. Where's that base? Uh, just up north by Lompoc, okay. California. It's okay. about uh, halfway between Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo. Okay. Okay, cool. Bless you. <laughs> Sorry for the call. You're good. Um, and so uh, I was out there three years. And basically, um, we had a, a, a group of officers, the producer directors like myself. And then we had um, still photographers and videographers and uh, people who did the photo developing. We had a mobile lab for that kind of work. Okay. And then basically, when we got the call, and this is what we are, the combat camera aspect of our job, we they would say... Um, the headquarters folks down in um, uh, that were closer to LA would say, okay, we want you to send uh, this type of unit and that type of unit. It might be two man, it might be eight man, it might be larger. And then we would um, assemble the group and then pack up their gear and get them on an airplane to go wherever they wanted to go. That's pretty cool. And how, how many people did that usually consist of? So like a, like a, a typical team would be eight people, three okay. still photographers, three videographers, a maintenance guy, and an officer. Okay. Kind of run. So would you edit all that footage con- collectively of the three videographers together? Like, would they all go into the same zones a- at the same time? In generally, that would be the idea. Now, it's probably an important caveat to say here that I served uh, – uh, what I call like the Clinton years between Bush one and Bush two. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so the most dangerous place, uh, the most dangerous place I ever deployed was probably the Pentagon, where I spent the last. Oh, year really? Of my <laughs> so other than that, I didn't actually go forward. And so my weapons training and chem warfare training and uh, was never things that I actually had yeah. to, to put into effect. But um, uh, I did get some guys that said ready to Haiti, and we had sent some guys to Bosnia and that sort of thing. Yeah. Over the course, but we would put these teams together and it might be a group of eight or it might be a group of two. Like we would send, they just want two still photographers to supplement another group because with combat camera, no matter what service you're from, we were air force, but the Marines had their guys and the army had their guys and the Navy had their guys. When they get into theater, they were all part of the same unit automatically. And then the people on the ground would make decisions about operationally, what are we going to record? What videos do they need back at home? And that sort of thing. So, who would cut those to get, like, did, was, did they take any cutting? My videographers were editors as well. And so when I was active in, we had Avids that we had oh, built cool. into crates. Holy shit. And so you could take the crates and set them up, and you'd have the screens and all the, um, yeah. you know, at the time it was tape, mostly the machines yeah. that you would plug it into. And so we could do it in the field. And then if you were large, like I said, we were the eight-man unit that has a maintenance guy to help with the the electronic aspects of getting everything set up. But the guys who shot were generally the guys who edited. And I got to, you know, do a little bit of editing myself as well. So did they train you in Avid when you first got into the Air Force? Or You, you know, it was funny. I mean, it was, um, I mean, the government had all the money in the world. And so to think like what Avids were new at the time. And, uh, and they're not, that's not a cheap system. Oh, right? no, yeah, yeah. not at all. And that, I, I think of, of uh, commercial edit bay gets an Avid. They're going to keep that thing running 24-7, or they used to. And again, I'm not sure. The technology's changed quite a bit since then. But we had... Yeah, they're running on Final Cut Pro now, really. (laughs) (laughs) They've upgraded. (laughs) But we had three to five of them in our edit bay just... That's pretty cool. It's been a lot of idle time. Like, the military wanted to be cutting edge with this stuff. Um, And uh, so we had them available when we wanted to do stuff. Yeah. So Were Were they pretty, like... Were they pretty idle <laughs> most of the time then, just sitting there? Yeah, it de- I mean, it depends. We were doing a lot of – we did quite a bit of work because when we weren't deploying, which, as I said, I never did, um, we basically trained to deploy, and we would go out in the field and um, you know move our folks around. But otherwise, um, we did sort of corporate-style stuff for the military. So if they're having a uh, uh, an inspection out in Colorado, I would send a team that would record it, and we'd put together a video for the end of the show and some yeah. sort of summary stuff. And then um, I mentioned going to the Pentagon. I left 
California first to go do um, Clinton's second inaugural. Oh, really? <laughs> I led a military team that documented that. And then oh, did interesting. Video out back out to the military. And then I spent a year at the Pentagon. And at the Pentagon, we were actually very busy because we were doing constant videos of you know, the um, F-22 fighter was new at the time or, you know, some sort of event or the Secretary of Defense wanted to put something out there. And so we were we were quite busy at oh. that time. And, and the stuff, you know, there, as I was doing op- director of operations, and it was really about scheduling and, I don't know, figured out which general had the most stars because that's the guy you yeah. help out. And that's what yeah, <laughs> for sure. What happened towards the end of that? So, you, I mean, you, you're, you did do four years in the Air Force? It ended up being five. It ended up being five. So towards the tail end of that, did you kind of know you wanted to go into the industry um, from doing all that and everything? Or You know, it was funny because I had um, decided late in college that I wanted to go into the industry, but was already committed to the military as far as what my time was going to be. And so doing combat camera for the military was meant as a stepping stone for eventually moving to Los Angeles. There is something, though, about when you make a commitment to being in uniform, you end up I don't know. You make a commitment on a lot of levels. And so yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I would have gotten out except um, and this doesn't have anything to do with the film industry, but uh, they wanted to send me to school. Uh, uh, the military? As a captain, just to go for like basically what we call re-bluing, where you go with other captains and you spend like four weeks, I think it is, you know, where they're basically just reviewing stuff and running you through sort of drills and kind of re 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 Retraining Re- you, recommitting you to the Air Force. Yeah, Force. I was gonna say so that that you do that with the commitment almost that you're gonna go in to another four years, pretty much. Well, or? not so much. That commitment actually would have only given me one extra year in the Air Force. Okay, but that was gonna go six months past when my window was opening up to to get out. Right. When I got promoted to captain at uh, three years, I think it was. I owed two years from that date. Yeah. And when I moved to DC, actually, let me take that back. I, when I moved from California to DC. I owed two years. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't my three-year mark, so it was like five. Sure. I got promoted to captain at four years, and I owed one more year. Yeah. So that was at five years. So at five years was this window, the first window I'd had where I could actually choose to get out. And if I went to school at this program where they pulled me up a year early for, I would have extended my time for another six months before I could even make a decision. Yeah. Well, at that age, I mean, that six months seems like the entire world. Oh, of course, yeah. And so I was like, you know, I don't mind doing it next year if I stay, yeah. but I don't want to say yes now. Yeah. And they decided that that was incompatible with future military service. That I was yeah. counseled. I got yeah. a formal letter in my file that said, to refuse military education, that's not going to work for us. And so it didn't actually affect my career, but if I had stuck around and gone up for colonel and you know higher ranks that letter would have still been that there. probably i mean i, I can imagine like i feel like if i would have gotten that that would have boasted my decision like pretty far to the other side like i would have been like okay if i had any second thoughts then this just pushed me over the edge to no i don't want to go back no yeah. my man that's exactly what yeah, happened to yeah. me i was like fuck you then i didn't yeah. ever <laughs> want to be here yeah i've you know given the time and and you know i could have stuck around there was a lot of fun stuff about doing it but sure. it was like if you're gonna do that um and then also hanging out at the Pentagon, you see how things are at the top. And yeah. you're like, I don't really want to be in charge of this thing in the end, so why, why spend my career here? Now, my dad was Army for 30 years, and my brother did a full career as well. And so I'm still you know, pro-military. I'm not bitter about the whole thing. But for me, yeah, five years, I don't regret a day in, don't regret a day out. And that took me to Totally. Hell. Totally. I mean, that's something. It's, it's all who you are, really, because there's a lot of people like I personally could never have been under the thumb of anybody too long like <laughs> i'm a free spirit i guess as we say here in los angeles 
I like to move around and just the artistic of it. It's like there's not too much artistic opportunities in the military. Yeah, a so, lot less. Yeah. Yeah, a lot less. Yeah. I mean, I like a lot of aspects about it. I like to learn about the equipment and all this stuff, which is why I'm in props, really. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I, I can't commit to anything, I don't think, ever, which is also why I'm in the film industry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that uh, working in props, you get your opportunities to play with that stuff, you know, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, a lot. And, the- yeah, I mean, and, and the people, I think working in props, like, you get access to, like, the people that you want to hear, like, the big stories from within the military. Like, I personally have had uh, Medal of Honor recipients that have helped us out on set and, like, as we're recreating stories and told us exactly what we need as far as the toys go and, and all the cool stuff. So just that, like that's, that's some of the coolest stuff I think in my industry that I've been able to see or the people I have been able to meet and hang out with, like fuck the actors, really. <laughs> <laughs> fuck the celebrity <laughs> They're smoking cigarettes with the breaks. Like those people are so freaking cool as the people that come in um, who you don't really see on camera, but they're the ones that kind of delegate and, uh, what do they call them? I think we were talking about it earlier, like the the projectionist guy from American Horror Stories. Yeah, like, like advisors. Advisors. And there's a whole techs. group of guys who do yeah. military advising. Yeah, right? like they'll come. Yeah, on set they and... call them technicians. Mm-hmm. I think oh, they, like oh yeah, the the projectionist was the projection technician or military technician is what you have because anytime you have SWAT team or whatever, that's what you bring in a lot of. <laughs> Well, and my other takeaway from the military that was relevant to my time in Hollywood and uh, um, on my podcast, we'll get veterans together every once in a while and we'll talk about this in the context of the show. But um, the military and the film industry, they use the same organizational system. Yeah. Where if you have a really complex, um, you know, group or undertaking that you need to respond quickly to change. Um, you push, I think, my theory is you push the expertise to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, so totally. The people who are actually turning the wrench, they know their job better than the people who are telling them what needs to get done. And that way, when the situation changes, the people at the top say, you know, we're not going to attack this hill or the enemy's over there. Instead, everybody can self-adjust and reconnect with the other parts and the whole thing can keep moving right. rather than people, you know, just sitting on their hands waiting yeah. for better instruction. And so when I came to Hollywood, um, I feel like it's assistant directors that sort of make that work on oh, set yeah, if they're totally. communicating the information. And so I naturally sort of, I think, progressed in that direction. I mean, given the benefit of all the years, I think if I was doing it again, I might not have gone into the AD work. Because sure, sure. in the end, whatever creative things were exciting to me when I started really didn't get scratched that much with the AD work. But I, at the time, and again, <laughs> follies of youth, I thought, man, I'm already five years behind everybody else. Right. Just getting here now. And yeah. so let me do a thing that I think I kind of understand. And, and that was uh, that was my work in L.A. Work yeah, as an delegation. AD. So you, you, when you left the military, were you already in the L.A. area then? No, I got out. Uh, my ass assignment was in D.C. Uh, I drove across the country when, um, when the military was still paying me. I had like 60 days of leave. And so... Uh, Came out to L- visit my old friends up and down the, the country and on the coast, and then uh, got to L.A. in uh, like October of 98. Yeah? Started PA. With the intention just like, I'm going to go make it happen, baby. You know, I, <laughs> Hollywood I, dreams. That's exactly it. I, I had a college friend that was out here as an actor. Uh, I had a new, another guy who uh, uh, was writing and um, you know gave me a room to stay in for a while. And uh, I was uh, literally getting like, what was it? The um, Hollywood Reporter had a section in the back where yeah, they listed all of totally. the movies that were in the production. And so I would look for the address and I had a stock letter and I would you know, put them in the mail Damn, and yeah. just like, just trying to hustle it. Yeah, dude, your, your, uh, your start was very similar to mine. Though. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I like, I got the free, I had no money at all. I was living in Florida. I got the free trial to IMDb pro. 
Like I think I had I think I had a month free trial or whatever. So while I was there, because you get you get access to all the producers' emails and shit like that, and all the production office emails of anything that's set to start. Mm-hmm. I went through that list and emailed everybody that anything that was gonna be in Florida, no matter what it was, and that got me my first few jobs. Actually, like you have the. One in a hundred or whatever that respond, but then like with like one of my first jobs was like Spring Breakers, that Harmony Corinne movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just emailed them, and they're like, "Well, we're looking for an art director." I was like, "I am not that experienced, <laughs> but, but I make a great art PA." <laughs> well, were they paying you? I mean, did they pay you yeah, for that stuff? Totally. That you were ahead. Mine, uh, the ones that I got pulled in on were we need a lot of people to work for free. Oh, yeah. We'll give you an IMDb credit <laughs> and some I, lunch. You know, <laughs> I don't even think uh, IMDb was that big a deal when I started because, again, this is back in, in 98. Right. Uh, my first gig was a three week freebie with uh, Jeff Fahey. Oh, really? Movie. Yeah. And uh, it's actually um, Skid was a high school nickname that I had pretty much choked off for college and in the military. I was Captain S, obviously. Yeah. Not Skid. Yeah. But then. <laughs> But on that first gig, I'm working for free, and there's uh, six Robs or Roberts or Bobbies on yeah, the totally. set. So on the second day, I'm like, you know what? Call me Skid, and that's just that was it was on my business card soon after. Awesome, yeah, <laughs> that'll happen. Um, so at least you started. I mean, you were hustling, and you. I mean, that's how you. That's you. How you climb the ranks or whatever. That's how we did back then. Mm-hmm. Also, I would say when I started in Florida competition was way less <laughs> so and that the only also reason i didn't point. come out to los angeles was i didn't have the money to so it was like it was a lot easier there was like only one art department that really worked on everything so you make it in good with them yeah which i'm a uh, i'm a good sweet talker like <laughs> i can like talk my way into at least giving me a chance and then once you're in you're good so that's that's what gave me the money to move out here well, and then the networking right like you work a thing that's the only job you're doing but the people you meet on that totally are going to get you your next gig totally and that's no longer that's sort probably of what how you did trying it to pull call. yeah you meet a guy who got me as a pa on another job where i was paid uh eight hour minimum wage for the 16 hour day you know yeah, people know how that totally. was done at the time um, but on that one i met a guy while i was in lockup that introduced me to another guy that brought me on as an extra pa for a movie and um, and then I got lucky. I got into the... When you were in lockup? When you were in jail? <laughs> <laughs> when I was locked up? <laughs> no, when I was... Uh... When I was down at the yeah, my the, cellmate <laughs> came on over. You know, just so happened to be a director. I mean, the set feels like that sometimes. Sometimes, totally. But uh, no, I was like on the end of some dirt road, making sure some guy didn't come out of his house, and it turned out that that guy had movie connections of his own. So yeah, it's just like a small world stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. How long did it take you? You told me you were in, you were in the DGA training program. How long were you PAing before that? Uh, door open for you? I mean, relatively speaking, not that long. I got out out here in uh, October of 98, um, and I got accepted into the program in 99. Okay. Uh, so I applied. I, I was just, I think, good on the timing of the cycle to come out and take the test and sort of go through the process. Um, and so I think, so I was in the program. I got my 400 AD days as a DGA trainee from 99 to 2001. Oh, damn. I wonder... Was it was it was the program just as hard to get into back then as it is now? Because I know we I, I just had a friend that's uh, just graduated from it. I think we're gonna have her on pretty soon to talk about that exactly. Um, I know we were talking. You said it took you two two day or two years, two days. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, it took you two years. It's it took her three years. I think it's at three years now. But I know when she was initially applying for it, like the percentages was pretty crazy. There's like they only let in. That the only people that made it into the DGA training program was like something like eight percent of people that actually applied to it. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on the exact numbers. I know that I think there were 20 of us to start, and there ended up being 14 of us that graduated of my class. Oh, really? At the time, it was about 20. I think it was 15 to 20 people a year. Um, I think that. Um, I mean, I think like a thousand people take the written test. Like right. it's just an open test yeah, for that. Yeah. And then you go through a series of uh, interviews, and um, you know, first you do these sort of these sort of like. I don't want to call them IQ tests, but like, and this may have changed as well by then, but it was questions like, hey, when I see a group, I, you know, I wave and I say hi, or I go hide in a corner. Like it wasn't, the psychological aspects right. of what they were looking for were pretty easy to read. Yeah. Um, and then you would do these uh, exercises as a group where they would give you a problem, you have to solve it, you know, the 10 of you, like, uh, you got 15 things on your spaceship. How are you going to rank them as far as their importance? Oh, uh, those interesting. Kind of, those kind That's of That's kind of cool though, actually. I, but you, you said 15 of the 20 graduated? Was that? Or yeah, we like had that? some people drop out. Either okay. Decided, I was yeah. like, how do you not graduate if you well, stick with it? Is no, it? it's basically, um, I mean, you can get kicked out if, you know, for, like, well, yeah, you if you're kicked a bonehead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, mostly it's like people decided that it wasn't for them in the end, I think, as far as uh, not finishing the program. Yeah, but, that makes more sense. <laughs> you know, the thing about those exercises where you're in the group is they're really, they really don't give two shits about the answer to the problem. They're seeing who gets along with other people right. and who tries to dominate the group and who listens to other points yeah, of view. Yeah, and how you can delegate probably too, like how, how you can probably control and what uh, – because what when you first get out, when you're second-seconding, th- like that's your first job, right? You're second-second when you get out, and you're, you're, pretty much, you're pretty much moving around background. And, I mean, uh, you can start to work on pretty big gigs. Did you start working on big jobs right away? You know, I actually – my first gig was uh, – uh, if I remember correctly, it was like an additional. I did my last couple of DGADs and then transitioned into an additional second on the Jim Carrey film, The Majestic. Oh, cool. But my job cool, was cool. literally all the period background and getting them ready and it was a large crowd and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, even lower. But And the big difference between the military and the film industry is in the military, if we disagree, we just got to check our shoulders and that's how the decision gets made. Like, yeah. Oh, like, look, I got the rank. Right. You know, so yeah, we're going to yeah, do it my totally. way and it's fine for us to have this conversation. But in the film industry, you don't have that kind of rank. People respond to the person that hired them. And so, you know, consequentially, you have to have a lot more sort of soft influence. You got to convince people that you as an AD are there to help them. And then when you come and say, hey, we need it quiet or X, Y, Z, what you need done, you know, they'll buy into it. And so that was kind of what the path was. Yeah. So you came out and started second seconding. And the se- when you second second, uh, I think... I don't know if we've... I've had a lot of first ADs on, but I don't think we've had many second seconds. <laughs> I know when you first start second to second, you're mostly... Like, you wrangle a lot of background, and you're in charge of kind of placing them, and which order they're kind of moving around in. Yeah, and, it, it, and it really depends on the show, and even more important, it depends on the key. Because yeah, different keys totally. run things in different ways. Um, I know keys that, up till the end of their career, they were onset keys. And if that's the case, then as the second second, you're spending a lot more time in the trailer and you know, kind of getting paperwork ready and stuff like that. But I was fortunate, um, besides doing the background on The Majestic, I then went and worked on West Wing for the third season. And there I was an onset second second. Yeah. Doing just like you said, like setting all the background for those walk and talks and make sure they don't cross in front of Rob Lowe at the wrong time. And, you know, just kind of working with those folks. And so that really cut my teeth on the background stuff early oh, on. Oh, Totally. Totally. Uh, so you you moved up to second AD though, right? Yeah. Um, Looks like here. <laughs> people I was working with, uh, uh, Eric Pot, who I had done some work with when he was a key second, when he started first and he brought me along. I started some key second there. Had a couple of key second stuff, um, you know, in my, in my later things with shorter gigs or, yeah. you know, I did the pilot for Dirt. Oh, um, totally. 
and a couple of those movies there at the end. And then, uh, you know, it was sort of like, what next? Yeah, it looks like... A, so you were mostly... Yeah, I see a lot of DJ. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. <laughs> we got it up on the screen. Seabiscuit, uh, Big Fish. Those are some big stuff. Friday after next. That's a that's a left wing one right there. <laughs> um, which one of these like is most notable? Entourage is one of my favorite shows for a while. <laughs> you know, Entourage was interesting. I uh, I did the I was second second for their first season. Um, and that was a that was an odd one to be on because like I. I still think that there's a really interesting show to talk about how fucked up fame is yeah, and kind of like how it messes with like these actors, you know, the celebrity and all of that. Sometimes they're manage it really well. And sometimes it really does seem to like really yeah, go rot their, their soul. Yeah, or totally. You know, as far as, but I think that's a really interesting show, but I don't think that's the show Entourage wanted to tell. Entourage leaned a little heavier into look how cool it is that totally we can get really fancy cards of and that kind of stuff. I, it was kind of the feeling behind the scenes as well that this is sort of like, let's take advantage of the show we're doing about this stuff to right. get extra sneakers. Or how was Mark Wahlberg on the set of that? Uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg wasn't there very often. Really, was, that uh, surprised me for the first <laughs> season, especially. I figured he would be like right there with his thumb pressed against the thing. You know, he made some appearances, but there was his. He had a lot of his people embedded in the totally. sort of production of the show. Um, we had a Mark Wahlberg guy who would hire. Uh, backgrounds we called specials yeah, yeah, that yeah. they didn't go through central casting. But it was all these pretty ladies that always came to set thinking they had lines for some reason. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what that was about. And then, There's a lot of backgrounds, though. <laughs> I mean, if, if, you, if you want to talk about half the background, they're all like, I'm a superstar. This is just a <laughs> uh, But, uh, you know, I mean, it was a good uh, season. But, yeah, I moved on after that. I had some movie opportunities after that, and so I took them. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way to do it. And it well, you did Spider-Man 2 and all that stuff before Entourage, and, and right? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, you know, the IMDb is tough to read, right? Like, it is, totally. Because the year it comes out totally. versus when the work was actually done. Yeah, totally. And even I'm a little vague on what, you know, what was going on when and when. But, um, uh, you know, Seabiscuit came along and Big Fish came along. Those were probably really great experiences for me. I, I really enjoyed doing the movie side of it where it's less about what gets done on the TV grind and more like how are we going to make this director's vision in this moment. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So what was, because you're not in the industry anymore, so something started to happen to where you got over this. You know, it was, um, I was at that cusp where I really wanted to be first, and truthfully told, by the end. It was sort of like, what's my opportunity going to be? Um, I was hoping that Dirt was going to continue with me as a first when they went to regular. That didn't happen. Um, the movie stuff, it's a little harder to break into first, and you know, I needed to do more contacts and, and work with that, and just coincidentally a guy that i had done rotc with we both got out of the military at the same time right uh when i came to hollywood he went to silicon valley and so he had been doing startups and tech work and that sort of thing and he called me and said you know we're looking for um project managers at my startup that we're working and it's it's a media startup they were doing digital media and devices talking to each other and that sort of thing he said you want to come up and do this and it was like live in san francisco and the pay, I mean, I was well compensated as a director's guild member, you know, sure. by no means, but it's a, it's a hustle to sort of find the work and to, you know, yeah. you don't know if this it's year, a freelance next year, thing. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, what, maybe uh, maybe an international strike's going to come about <laughs> on your doorstep. <laughs> or, I don't know, maybe a global pandemic or a writer's strike. I mean, it's crazy. Like, since the 10 years I've been in the union, there's, like, they're like, oh, maybe once every, like, 15, 20 years you'll hit something. It feels like every other year... 
something's come up to where it's been like, well, <laughs> yeah, not a exactly. lot of work right now. <laughs> I, so this was going to be a much more stable gig uh, doing that. And, you know, it's that Silicon Valley of the, uh, you know, mid 2000s. So it's like ping pong tables in the break room and yeah. beer in the fridge. And just oh, sort yeah. of like, we're getting the work Fireman's done, but... pole in the lobby or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of recognizing that and, and a lot of people working. And so, and I thought I'd take a crack at it. You know, I like doing new stuff and nobody was going to hire me to do computer stuff because I wanted to, but because I had a buddy that at least got me in the door to do some right. interviewing. They offered me a job. And so I didn't say a lot of goodbyes when I left. I didn't know if it was going to take, um, but uh, moved up north and uh, did that for... Uh, from like uh, 2006 to you know 2010 2011. Oh damn! In the Bay Area. You know, I think that's that's also probably that's the the best part about freelance is at least it's like if I want to go do something else for a little bit, you could still come back and you yeah. know what you still have the, the if, especially if you're paying your dues, you still have the union card. You can still work <laughs> right up in the thing. It's like you don't really have to work that hard to get back up. I mean, you got to refresh some contacts for sure, but <laughs> but but totally. But I see credits here after 2006, so it means you did come back. Huh? Well, I did. Uh, I did come back to the industry. So um, our startup got bought. So I did the corporate thing up in San Francisco for a while. Did a lot of travel, and that was fun. You know, visiting different offices, and such. But when we reorged, I lost that job, and so I was freelancing again. And just coincidentally, fell in with a friend of mine from high school who I'd also gone to college with, and she was founding a nonprofit to teach mindfulness to the military. Of oh. all things. And yeah. was interested in uh, the military. Didn't know a lot about mindfulness, but as a side plug for folks, you know, if you're working hard shit, mindfulness is going to help you. Yeah, totally. A lot of film stuff would help as well. But at the time, um, she needed help with operations and doing stuff with the Marines. So I ended up doing that, moved to D.C. Um, to uh, to help out that and, you know, work some Pentagon contacts and such. Um, we ended up uh, going out of business, just couldn't make the finances work on the nonprofit um, but, um, in that period of time, I met my wife, she works in, uh, she worked for the government, she's a government lawyer. And so I was a little stuck out in DC at that point, um, happily so, but be it out there and still paid my DGA dues turned out that, um, an AD, uh, uh, Jenny O'Keefe that I'd worked with on, um, uh, arrested development back in the day, she was looking for a local out in DC to help with. Oh, Veep, cool. Cause they were shooting Veep up in Baltimore. Yeah, totally. And I was like, she recognized my name. Um, and I said, yeah, it's, it's me. And at the time the nonprofit wasn't doing well. So, um, they invited me up to do a good chunk of their season. And so I was like, oh, I'll try it again and worked out of Baltimore for about a part of the year. Oh, cool. Kind of reminded me why I got out. The, you know, yeah. The first yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> it totally. Was a, kind of a grind doing that one, but good people. And it was, you know, kind of fun to be back. And so there's a couple of years there. And then, um, I got into doing software work with virtual office stuff, uh, pretty much right up until COVID hit yeah. and then they cut all their contractors loose. And then I was floating around most of last year until when filming started up again, I knew some people doing stuff in Atlanta. And so I went down there. I didn't go down as an AD. Yeah. Um, I went down first just as sort of a, um, off book or not off book, but you know, freelance uh, consultant on setting up uh, the COVID protocols for a Netflix movie coming out, Red Notice. Oh, right on. Yeah, coming yeah. out next month. Um, so I set up the stuff for them. And then after that, I did um, went on board as a assistant UPM, which wasn't really a job they had yeah. much of when I was. I've never heard of that position, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically being paid as a second second, but you're doing it from the office side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that sort of managing uh, COVID protocols for a WB show called Legacies. And so yeah. that kept me busy. And uh, in the industry for the last part of um, 
2020. And I accidentally qualified for health insurance again. So oh. I'm enjoying another year of DGA health yeah. insurance. <laughs> get that in because what? That lasts like six months. So just get in and take care of everything. No, a full year. No, like, I had full a full year. year. I got a it goes full, full year. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Started in March. Rolling. I'll be right into 2022. <laughs> Hell yeah. So get all the dental appointments, everything you need to just out of the way. And you know, <laughs> I mean, I get insurance through my wife's job, uh, through good. the government normally, but it turns out. And I did not know this, that if you have two types of insurance, it's not just a pain in the ass. They actually cover different parts of the payments. You end up paying oh, even nice. less. I know. That's awesome. Is MPI better th- or worse than the, your wife's insurance? Uh, my DGA insurance is pretty DGA good. Insurance? Yeah. yeah that's, uh, it's, I guess it's through Anthem or whatever. Now. Oh, it's yeah, a, yeah, totally. It's a Blue Cross Blue Shield through Anthem is the one that, and again, yeah. I'm still going through the card stuff. But totally. it's, it's better in some ways, and then other things it's not as good, but they're complimentary. Yeah. Um, so obviously you didn't hate the film industry too much leaving it because you started your own show from it. No, you know what? I never hated the film industry. I mean, I think it was a grind and I think there's, um, you know, it's a lot of work. People have a lot of passion for it. And I think I did as well for movies themselves. Um, going back on set kind of reminded me what I didn't miss about it, but I did miss talking about it. And so with that in mind, the podcast was born, and it was really to give me an opportunity to get together with folks I knew, tell stories from behind the set. And so I started uh, Below the Line uh, just over three years ago. Oh, really cool. And have you stayed You stay consistent about it? You do every week? Uh, and we were talking about that a little bit as we started coming in. Um, and so you must be pretty close to where we are right now as far as episode count goes. I think I just published like my 102nd episode like last week or something like that. When this comes out, yeah, it's in that range. Um, I've uh, I've tried a couple of different formats. Um, started out every once a week was the idea, but yeah. I've organized mine by seasons. Oh, and right. There's, there's no necessary theme for a season. I hit somewhere between 10 and 15 episodes, I'll take a break to sort of regroup and reschedule cool. the stuff for, yeah. the next, for the next group. Um, and then sometimes I'll do a theme season. I do a, um, just as a, as a, like when the Oscars come out, I do a series of episodes where um, people with technical expertise talk about the nominees in their category. So I get some production designers to totally. come in and talk about that and yeah. some hair and makeup folks to talk about those five films. Yeah. And, so, and that will be a crunch. Like I'll release all... 12 of those in like a three week period, you know, as far as those episodes coming out. So it gets a little, a little tighter, but then I'll take another break and then come back into it. Totally. That's a, that's a pretty cool way of doing things. At least it keeps a little bit fresh. And it also, I guess, makes it so what you can actually take a break. I wish I could do something like that because <laughs> I was, what, where we started like first going into it, we, we took a season break. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to help myself, help yourself, man. Definitely beverage. help yourself refill as you need. That's what it's in here for. <laughs> You want me to pour you? You want me to pour you as well while I've got it out? Oh yeah, definitely. We have the the growler of eight hundred five in still working the eight hundred five keg from the tap. <laughs> we got this new uh, since it is the the holidays, uh, the Halloween holidays we call it, uh, which is really what my wife considers the holidays because that's the only thing that's important to her. <laughs> um, but we there's this pumpkin beer that we really love that's from like Maine. It's Shipyards uh, Pumpkinhead. Okay and. Our, our liquor stores out on the East Coast are a lot easier to find, but out here they only have them like at Bevmo for like a week. They only get one <laughs> shipment in, and you gotta like find it when it's there and scoop it up. So we'll buy like three cases and spend like two hundred bucks just, to get, <laughs> and we'll just keep them tucked away for like special occasions so they can go out. <laughs> so that's been uh, that's I think that's my wife's on every once in a while on the podcast when, she, when we're waiting for those episodes to like pop those out because she's like oh yeah 
be drinking that. But usually we like to announce what we're drinking in the beginning. <laughs> it's been 8.05 every episode since <laughs> that's what we have on tap. But 8.05 is not a bad choice, and this guest is pleased. So Yes, good. <laughs> that's what I go for. <laughs> I, I aim to please. <laughs> um I, I do like your, your formula and the way you do, because like I said, it, it, we were talking about this before we started recording. It, it becomes exhausting to, especially while you're working in the film industry, to actually get, and that's that's why most of the, the co-hosts we usually have aren't here every single week, just because it is difficult. It's it's tough to be able to like pump out an episode. For me, I, I think I've made it a little bit easier where I put the studio in. It's not doing me any favors that I live in Santa Clarita uh, because it's it takes a little bit more for guests to come up. But um, I think I, I reach out to enough people to where I, I've been able to work some things around and people respect me, luckily, to an extent to where they'll come out. And I'm actually starting to be able to have frequent guests again. But it does – it gets hard. Like, I'm, I'm going away for two weeks. It's like, oh, got to bank something. Um, got to just build it up. Like – I think I think it's gonna be better actually once I'm working again because it will Do you be. Think? Easy. I, I think I think it will just because when I'm traveling is when it's the most hard to do it. Mm. There's some like special circumstances because I am part of a network. It it makes it a little easier because all of our shows are kind of scattered throughout the country. So if I travel anywhere, at least within the United States there's a chance I'm no further than at least a couple hours from the nearest show. So I don't even need to bring gear because usually they'll have it there and I'll be able to do something with them. I'm going, my brother has a show that's part of the network too. We're going to go on a cruise in February, uh, COVID pending, obviously, right, if it can still happen. <laughs> uh, we do that. Like we're going to bring the, bring a mixer and then we'll both be able to do our show. You know what I mean? So there's, there's certain circumstances. We go camping, we can bring it, you know? So, so, that makes it a little bit worse, but I, but doing it this way, you upload all your stuff to IMDb too, yeah, which is smart. That's that's new. I mean, I gotta say, you regular listeners probably know, but I'm really impressed that you have this setup here. You got some space, you got microphones, you can have people in the room, and it's just a different uh, atmosphere. My show has been just by necessity uh, virtual. I've recorded uh, Zoom since I started. I've done like uh, one or two episodes live, I think over the hundred. Um, but uh, I really like what you've got going here. I do think, um, as you pointed out, that IMDb thing has been a nice way since all my guests, totally well, 95% of my guests are film affiliated to begin with. Um, I had um, some uh, union, I had did one episode during COVID where the, um, basically the union lobbyists who live in D.C. and actually who I got connected with through my wife, they came on the show and talked about what the unions were doing in D.C. back when all that the right. COVID bill stuff was going on. So they didn't have credits already, but mostly people do. And so on IMDb, I can link to them, and they get credits as self-guest on, right. their, on their IMDb page as well. So you said you just started doing this? Uh, maybe about... I don't know, four or five months ago. Four or five months ago. So did you had to like backtrack and go through every episode and start to just add people one by one. Yeah, it <laughs> was, was that a, difficult? Did it take a while? <laughs> I, I mean, it was a lot, basically. But uh, um, but I kept good lists, and so just kind of while I was watching TV, just kind of ran through them and yeah, put in the info and submitted the, the the stuff. Um, and uh, now it's a lot easier just when the new episodes coming out or when I know what the next one's going to be. Go ahead and put it in. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's. Uh, that's super smart. Like, I think we should start trying to do that. That's it's such gonna, a good idea it's because take some catching up. Uh, yeah, like, it's I like, know. I was say now that we're at a, we're, we're at the same episode count as you are almost. So it's gonna be like, oh, 
God damn. And, and IMDb doesn't through. make it easy. Like you have to choose yeah. the right category and then you got to find the actual person and then you got to yeah. make sure it, they go and check in and then you got to wait and then it's some back and forth. But you get, in a, you get in a rhythm on it. And I think, yeah, all your shows would pop in there as well. Yeah, that would be cool because I know a lot of people, I think it would be cool for people to like look up to be able to find the source of a lot of the people that we have on because there's, I don't know, we have one guest who actually she's, I call her a co-host now because she's been on the show three or four times. Uh-huh. She, uh, her name is Snake Bitch. And she legally changed her name to Snake Bitch because she's a snake wrangler on set. I don't know if you ever met her. <laughs> you probably would remember her. She lives down the road, so she'll pop in, do episodes every once in a while. But nice. if you look at her ID, it says Marissa Snake Bitch. And that's because uh, since obviously we live in a little bit of a PC uh, culture now, especially being in L.A., that she's had like set decorators and costume designers like complain to like the higher ups on set, they're like, Oh, I heard this one person call her snake bitch. And she goes, that's my name. (laughs) (laughs) So like she legally changed it. That way nobody would report her to PR and people could call her snake bitch on set on walkie. (laughs) But she comes in regularly. She's a great friend of the show and she's awesome. But so many people ask me, they're like, I want to know more about the snake bitch girl. Like if something like that, cause I know she's a harder one to find, I think on IMDb, like that'd be a cool thing to be able to like break people down. They could <laughs> go to your show, go to the episode and then just like click through to those, see those people's other credits. Yeah. yeah it just slims it down a little bit. So I, I, I like what you got going on there. I mean, your shows are really good too. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm super into it. It's definitely s- extremely informative. Um, I was, I was nervous even going cause you did an IA show around the same time we did. Uh, and, you had people from different unions, uh, different union reps. I think what you had one from camera, one from electric, I think, and, and Loomer. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and uh, I thought about having some other folks, but we got the time a little confused with people. And so they, because the, getting the time zones was a, was a little screwed up. But um, yeah, we brought folks in. Uh, the the guy from the from um, 600 and the guy from Electric, neither of them were uh, were um, reps the way oh, right, like right. Loomer's on the right, executive right, board. Sure. They were just people I knew who'd done multiple times on the show. Right. And I knew from looking at Facebook, they had opinions about yeah, they could what say was going something on and they could it. speak to it and were willing to speak about it totally. on the record. And so, um, yeah, below the line again, also, we're huge um, advocates for the crew as we, as we talked yeah. about in the beginning. So just wanting to be part of that uh, voice to get that out there to the folks maybe who aren't in the industry as well to get sort of a sense yeah. of what people are going through. Yeah. I was, I was glad to do an episode of that. Yeah. Yours, yours, uh, I like your show because it's definitely, it's a little bit more cut and dry than this one. It's, it's very much more an interview and talking to the people, less fart jokes. And stuff. <laughs> well, and when somebody farts on my show, we just edit it out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I edit the shit out. I edit He's the like, shit out there, of my show. Trust me. <laughs> not in the end. Well, it's funny. It's like uh, certainly a grass is greener thing. Cause I like being here on your show where the idea we just sit and talk and, uh, what the, the episodes of yours I've listened to as well. You're just having a good time, and that's really what you're capturing. My show aims a little more to be informative. Like totally, when we're doing a movie, I'm watching the movie and making notes and discussion outline, and sort of kind of just more of a focus. But at the same time, you know, particularly when I have the people on that I worked with back in the day, I think we just you gonna have some laughs about it as well. Oh, 100 so. percent. But that's why I like that. Like the differences of our show are, are really good in the way that we both have it. So I think it's it's awesome to have somebody like you on to where we can kind of cross promote a little bit and push it. It's like everybody should definitely check out. They should definitely check out this past episode that you just did, which actually has really good friend of mine you just interviewed, um, Eve McCannery, which uh, she was a production designer on American Horror Stories. 
So she's the reason I worked on American Horror Stories, actually. She was the one that oh, really? pushed me. Yeah, so she, I actually, I worked with her on, I don't know if she mentioned the show Into the Dark with you guys, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which like this little crappy Hulu show that we did that, <laughs> that, uh, but it was also an anthology show, which that I, was also which an was anthology kind of the lead show. In. Like, look at what did you done before doing American Horror Stories was kind of the lead. In. Yeah, and that's kind of what, so I actually came in to that to fill in for a prop master that couldn't start right away. So I just did one episode with them. And then uh, apparently I made an impression. Um, she was very awesome. And, and, and when she called me for horror stories, she just said like, oh, I can't bring on any other prop master. I need to bring on you because you were the only prop master the entire time that I worked on the show that came in and I didn't hear anything of. And I got nervous and like <laughs> ran to set to make sure things were good and everything was taken care of. She's like... <laughs> It was just weird. I didn't have to like worry. Like I didn't have to hear. So she was like, "Hey, she called." I, first of all, I knew she was doing um, Liza on Demand at the time, which, as a prop master, it's a scale show, but it's like a gimme. It's such an easy like baseline like show. So I hadn't done really any scale shows as a master. I've I, as assistant prop master, I've done huge shows. I've done like Westworld. I've done Glow. I've done like nice Penny Dreadful. Like nice good shows but not running the ship uh essentially so when she called me for this i thought she was calling for lies on me i was like all right my first union show and it's gonna be a cakewalk like it's gonna be awesome and then she goes oh it's a ryan murphy and i was like wait what <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say she's like oh yeah it's a spin-off american horror story called american horror stories i was like oh i don't know if i can do that she's like of course you can i was like you have more confidence in me than i do eve <laughs> and she basically set me up and just said like oh i i know you can do it i was like well i gotta get myself a prop trailer like i gotta do some like big things and i i the whole time you could see my assistant i got on like how many times i was like well if we make it through this without getting fired (laughs) then it'll be great and i mean it was a wonderful experience we did amazing and i have eve to thank for that because she had more confidence in me than i did and God, she's such a creative, awesome production designer. And every single conversation I had or like creative thing where I just needed a little bit of a help with like how a prop was built or made or something like that. Like I would bring it to her and it would be like it, it wouldn't be like a I don't know, it wouldn't be like talking to a boss or say it would be like, Okay, cool. Well what if we did this and this? Oh yeah, and then what if we had it like it, it got to that exciting, you know, back and forth kind of creative like I don't know, like a band writing a new song, you know? So uh, she's such a fun person to be able to kind of do that with, and her, her passion is so apparent. So, uh, yeah, you guys should definitely go to the Below the Line podcast. Where can they listen to that episode? Uh, yeah, so um, you can listen to Below the Line. I have a website. It's uh, belowtheline.biz, B-I-Z, is where we are. But the podcast is also available uh, wherever you get podcast yeah i mean there might be some things that i haven't found a way into yet but iheart radio spotify <laughs> apple spotify yeah. right, you can find it there look for the logo um that uh the iwo jima inspired picture is basically mine it says below the line um and yeah coming out weekly that one with uh eve i don't want to put any spoilers on it she said nice things about props yeah i got invited back so i would <laughs> I, I, I would hope so <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, but yeah, on my show, we go pretty deep. And I think that's like, even I had a really good time, like really breaking down what the tough production design decisions were on that totally. show. And the challenge of doing an anthology series, you know, where every episode you got to build its own world and yet still having to go back to the original American Horror Story to sort of build on somebody else's work. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun talking to her. Did you tell, did you did, did you talk about the Halloween haunt set? 
at all or any of that stuff? Yeah, she talked a lot about how um, originally it was supposed to be in, at a school. Oh, yeah. And then these totally. orders came down at the last Yeah, uh, like from the a, network. A like, few days before. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> You're not killing a bunch of kids in the school. Yeah, and yeah. So I was like, all right, what do we do? Yeah, but, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, yeah, folks, if you haven't watched the show, it's spoilers on that. But the first couple, I think it's episode two, or maybe it's episode one or episode two, where they have this, ho- you guys have this uh, haunt out at the. I guess you filmed it at the Griffith Park, Griffith yeah, Park the, zoo. The, the zoo area. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it looks just great. Like it's one of those cases where the directions came in and boxed you out by taking out the school, but then what you guys did with it from all aspects of production design and props and set deck, I mean it was fantastic. Yeah, and we didn't even see like probably eighty percent of it. That's, that's the <laughs> heartbreak of, of this yeah. business, isn't it? Right? Like yeah, totally. <laughs> when I was doing A D work, you're like, you know, I set those people back there, they never even made the shot. You know, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, but uh, is what it is. I think the next season, like we, we, I just had lunch with her the other day, and we were just chatting about like ideas that we would have for other episodes that were like maybe we'll nudge like the the creative producer. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, it'd be cool if we did one like in a jail. It'd be fucking dope. Or she's like, no, Day of the Dead. Like if we did something like, it's like, oh yeah, because <laughs> there's so much. I mean, you can take that show in so many different directions. I mean, some I of them are great episodes. Well, I think you just got to find the prop that sort of inspires them to write the episode you want, and then you just carry that around on set for other reasons. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. What are you doing with that machete? And you're like, well, I was, you know, yeah, I had this idea <laughs> you know, just flipping it around, having <laughs> <laughs> a good time. All right. Um, I think it's that time of the show. Uh, do you want to talk about some movies and stuff? Yeah, let's. Yeah, okay. Um, so you just you just flew out here, right? That's um, right. I, I'm, I've been doing a lot of flying lately, and on the last one, I kind of brought up uh, uh, interesting movies that we, we watch on flights, uh, just because they're always the movies that you just you don't you see the trailers for it. They come into theaters. You don't care enough to go to the theaters, but man, if it's just there. While you're on a flight, you'll probably watch it. Uh, did you watch anything on the way out here? I, I did on the way out. I'll say first that um, my favorite thing to do on a long flight, um, and I, I do a lot of flying on United, and they seem to have uh, uh, some sort of connection into these uh, Korean police I know. drama type sort yeah. of. It's like uh, there's some kind of love story, but there's a gangster aspect, and right. the police are corrupt or whatever, and there's always this sort of – so always I go – I, I beeline straight to see what they've got on that that's new because um, I almost never get them through any source. At, at oh, really? So, so you yeah. you go for Korean cinema right away? Yeah, just like just see yeah. like, what's what's coming down this pipe for that sort of smoky that for some reason at that height and maybe a beer or two off the cart. You're just, yeah, <laughs> it just really hits hits me right in the heart, you know. So that's those are my favorite. Um, what did you watch? What well, was the one this time? Now, so this time, what's a little different though is the other category that I'm going to open up for myself is the things that came out that I didn't see in theaters, but I'm not ready to pay $30 to see streaming at right. home, <laughs> but uh, but I'm willing to watch on the airplane. And so actually this time out, I watched uh, Black Widow. Oh, okay. Now that okay. Uh, sure. you know, um, Scarlett has settled her business with Disney. Yeah. That's all <laughs> we'll wonder if we see more of that. And uh, and then I watched uh, F9, the Fast Saga. Because I, I did too. Because they're going around. I did, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. Dude, I... Um, I I worked. I worked on the pickups in LA for it. The, okay. Um, so basically, all the racetrack stuff. I worked on the racetrack stuff where the car like flips. So basically, I as props goes, the only prop was like a helmet and the necklace that he was wearing, like Dom's necklace. And then after that, I just got to sit in the stands and watch them throw a car into the fence. Over and over and over on eight different rigs. So they did throw a lot of cars around on that. I yeah, guess they were all different rigs. They wow. have they had that they had one. You could kind of even when you watch it, like 
the car gets in, caught in front of another car, and then for some reason it just catapults and springs <laughs> upwards. You're like, I don't see how the fuck that happened. But <laughs> the physics of the Fast and Furious universe, that is not yeah, our yeah, own. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest sign just because the physics do not yeah. work the same it, way. It literally <laughs> just like, and, and that's what, it, like, they had a rig where it was on the front and the car was pushing, but it was like a, I don't know. It was like a, a, a mouse trap, like the spring thing that just like flipped up, and they trigger a button, and it would just go, boop. and then somebody else had a button that would ignite the whole thing and make it go up in flames. So they did that rig a bunch of times, and then it still didn't hit the fence the way they wanted to. One time, it went over the fence oh accidentally. <laughs> yeah. So they had another rig where the car was literally face up on the side of like a truck bed, and then it just would ride along the fence, and the thing would just go. Boop. And it would go into the fence and blow up. <laughs> so they had all these rigs, and I got to, I got like a bunch of videos because I got to sit like in eight different spots while each rig went off. I was like, okay, this is cool. They have helicopters shooting it from all the other directions and doing that stuff. Now, do you think those guys say like you did on your props, or I said on my background? They're like, why well, didn't get to see the part of the flip that I was responsible for? You know, because that ends up yeah. that's like ten seconds of the actual movie. It's yeah, not like, you know, you spend a whole day flipping cars around. Yeah, there. totally, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but then we also. We also filmed uh, the the Fourth Street Bridge race between okay. Young Dom and and Young John Cena, whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that yeah, when they were going in the Jacob, thing, the thing. Jacob, 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 that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, those two guys are brothers for sure. Yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they look Make nothing alike. Yeah, that, that cast. They just want to put John Cena in a movie. <laughs> but yeah, I watched it and it was. Uh, they're just getting further and further. I was like, I remember when the first Fast came out. And it was like, okay, some of this could be plausible. Now it's just like they abandoned that whole idea a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I know as far I think um and this one seemed like they pulled in guys from all the movies and guys who are dead or back and I, I honestly Yeah, Tokyo like, Drift guys are in <laughs> this one now too. I, I just felt like like I felt a little lost on it. Like I had to have watched the eight before. You know, or then, and you know, if you include the um, the the one with uh, the rock in it, the, the yeah. spinoff one they did. You have to have watched all of those to understand what's going on. And while I may or may not do that before I go watch the new James Bond movie to, yeah, to yeah. catch up again, totally, I, I'm probably not going to sit down and, and watch all those fast. Movies no, I I didn't. I don't think I've seen seven or eight. So <laughs> it was just, and literally the only reason I watched this one was one because I worked on a little bit of it, and two, I just. It was there. <laughs> but on the plane, right? Like, yeah, on the they plane. They got it. And, it. Uh, I mean, I would have watched it at home sooner or later. Like, I like to know what people are watching. Even, in fact, I kind of like watching a thing I don't like. Like, there's yeah, something yeah. about, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I have, I do have an opinion about that stuff. That one's, I mean, those ones, I mean, are pretty easy to watch just because, it's like, I mean, what's not fun to watch about nonstop explosions and stuff like it's something that's going to keep the eye at least entertained. <laughs> but, but I do think that's what was complicated on this one where some of the character moments felt empty to me because I did not know like what relationship they were talking about. You know, he's back from the dead or this guy's like, or they're like, Oh, we're leaving a space. It just, it was a lot of the sort of character stuff. I, I, I took me out of it. I wish they had, Blowing up more cars, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you'd had a more work here in LA. Yeah. Should have flipped over yeah, tons of more, even more. Yeah, where was Michael Bay when you needed him? I mean, seriously. <laughs> um, was that the only thing you watched? Did you watch anything else? No, and I mentioned I watched Black Widow on the Black way out Widow, as well. Black Widow, right, because, right. Uh, um, again, missed it in the theaters. Uh, uh, not ready to pay $30 to see it. And um, I don't know. I mean, if you're into the Marvel stuff, I thought it was passable. I think there's... Um, uh, I think the um, the woman who did um, uh, uh, 
shoot, now I'm I'm forgetting what the film was. She did the Midsummer. Oh right, 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 what's right, her, right. What's her name? Um, here I have a your I have internet connection right here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Already. Uh, Jennifer Florence Pugh. Florence, yeah. Florence Pugh. She put, she's fantastic and uh, seems really getting into it. Uh, Scarlet, it feels like she's phoning in a little bit. Yeah, but, totally, totally, totally. I mean, but I can totally read her attitude where it's like, yeah, you've already killed my character. Tell me why I'm investing in this sort of yeah. backstory again. And so she doesn't feel quite as present with the film. But I do think they plant some seeds that undoubtedly are going to show up in Marvel stuff in the future. So Yeah, Marvel movies, I mean, my listeners know that I... I, I just it's gonna take a lot for a Marvel movie to like pull me into watch like obviously like I'm gonna watch all the Deadpool's like I'm I'm into Guardians of the Galaxy I like those but like as for the rest of them like even like the Avengers stuff I'm not super into because those movies uh, they just seem like a cash grab to me and they all kind of seem extremely the same the formula is all the same everything is just the same. And we said it's like, oh, you go in, it's like, oh, there's there's a bad guy, and you kind of, yeah, we defeat the first bad guy, but then they get stronger, and we underestimate them, and they have a battle. Oh, he's stronger now, and then you come in, and eventually you beat the bad guy again. You know, I um, think they're I think the real hit and miss. I think they um I think the Marvel movies for a while fell in this trap where the movie was less about what's happening here, and then more about setting up the pieces for the next movie, whatever it's going to be. And so then they're really not even that much fun to watch. But I do think there's some exceptions. I think if you like the the Guardian ones or, you know, Deadpool off in that other universe, I think that first Ant-Man movie oh, yeah. is of a similar, I mean, like that fun. sort of flavor. I like the fun ones. You know, the, like, yeah, the, the Thor the, Ragnarok? Yeah, yeah, that, Thor Ragnarok. But I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Taika Waititi, like, fanatic Boom. like i yeah. love anything he touches turns to gold and i oh, love i wish you know i held the door open for him at the bathroom at the dga awards <laughs> in 2020 so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's he, as close as i got to him but. yeah he's i mean he's amazing uh i i loved uh jojo rabbit i love hunt for the wilder people <laughs> uh, uh every all of his movies yeah they're they're, they're just uh, what we do in the shadows is just fan the movie fantastic the show's good too but the I, movie is absolutely insane the show is not drug me in the way that the movie does that was on my favorite list for a long time that uh, what we do in the shadows the, the original yeah totally um you said you were into uh into uh korean movies mostly of the stuff have, yeah have mostly got- on the plane i'll watch and so like i picked out a couple on the way home um i'm trying to think what the what what uh, united's going to offer me when i fly back to dc uh there was one about uh i'm sure there was one well actually this could be on any flight somebody's wrongfully imprisoned uh some gangster saves the life of some uh young girl um you know that's uh there, there'll always be something like that on the plane have you watched Squid Game? Yet? I have watched Squid Game. What do you think of that? You know, I um, uh, Netflix did a Japanese show that was very similar not that long ago. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, where they were sucked into a world with the cards. Uh, Alice and something... Uh, it's not Alice in Wonderland, but there was some sort of Alice Wonderland aspect to it. This had a similar feel, but was grounded in a way that I really liked. Um, have you seen it yet yourself? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not all the way through. I'm uh, about three episodes in. Um, so I just started it, and it was just because my wife started putting it on. Because I, I saw the trailer, and I was like, "Oh, great, just another Hunger Games." Because there's been a bunch of movies like the Hunger Games, but after watching it, I, I was like, "Okay, this is definitely." 
it, you, you got that kind of vibe going on when you get in there, but it's different because these guys aren't like forced to be into this thing. Like at first you're like, okay, maybe, but then they're like, Hey, you guys can fucking go if you want. You know yeah. what I mean? And then they do. And then they come back like by choice. So it's like, Oh, it's a personal choice world that they can kind of get in something that they're not forced to. And I think that kind of changes it a little bit. <laughs> you know, I think those first couple episodes, uh, hooked me, um, uh, it's not a full-throated endorsement. I think there's some. It gets a little squirrely, a little bit towards the end when they start introducing the the bad guys and such. And I'm not quite sure they nailed the landing. Obviously, it's doing so well. There'll be a second season, so we'll see where they oh, go definitely. with it. But uh, yeah, that's the kind of hands thing down. Because for around. this one's, I think this is Korean, right? Yep. I want to say so. Yeah, to have a Korean show even hit the American market and do as well as it's doing. There's no fucking doubt it's gonna hit a second season because I I mean I can't think of I can think of a bunch of uh I mean a lot of the cinema and movies there I mean the cinema started to come out of Korea is absolutely insane like recently like they're sh- they're starting to do really well and they're definitely starting to become like a second Hollywood of the world over there. Well, the other thing, well, I mean, you go back to the if the movies is kind of where they you know set the original. You know, prestige with Parasite or with before Paris, that, like yeah. Old Boy back in the day, and yeah. just sort of like the host, and all those films were were fantastic. Yeah, Okja, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Like you could already you could list off a ton of those, but like now they're starting to get into the Netflix and episodic game too. Well, the other TV show they got going on that I've really enjoyed, although it takes a while to get into, is The Kingdom, where it's uh, medieval Korea with zombies. Ooh. And uh, I mean, but it's really linked to the actual history, not the actual history of zombies, obviously, yeah. but the sort of feudal period in Japan, or excuse me, in Korea, where the Japanese have been repelled and just sort of what's going on there, that The Kingdom has two seasons and then a special um, hour and a half episode or whatever that is setting up for a third season, so... If you're into the Korean stuff, that's another one that I think is worth checking this out. This one, I think, I want to say, I think our last guest was talking. Was this it? No. Netflix is using the Korea, the kingdom for multiple things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose so. But I think, I think, uh, I'm going to look it up on Google. I think our last guest was talking about the kingdom too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he was just talking it up. Yeah, Kingdom Netflix. Here we go. Oh, so not the kingdom, it's just kingdom. Just yeah, kingdom. Yeah, yeah. So let me see. So they're on season two. IMDb, here we go. Yeah. Are, are, well, strange rumors about their king, group of kingdom. Prince becomes the only hope against mysterious plague of the overtaken land. Is there like vampires and shit in this? No. Okay. I mean, <laughs> not so far. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> I could see it being possible at but, some point. <laughs> I mean, but they're trying to ground in the sense that like there's a plant that brings the dead back and a ritual and such. And anyway, that's sort of uh, what the, what they're fighting. And then and then there's a, like I was mentioning, a standalone thing that gives some more backstory on one of the characters. But I don't know what their schedule is for coming out with more of it. Yeah, totally. I'm going to check that out for sure. Um, yeah, Squid Games, uh, I'm definitely going to keep watching that. I'm in a, I'm in a weird, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm binging uh, Sopranos right now because I've never seen the full Sopranos. So I mm. just, I'm, I'm like mid-episode, I'm, I'm mid-season three at the moment. But I think many, uh, many Saints of New York kind of like, uh, uh, excelled that but now that's it's out like i don't want to watch it which is weird because i guess i could watch it and it's not going to make a difference since it's a prequel anyway <laughs> but i kind of still want to finish the sopranos before i watch the movie 
I think that makes good sense. I mean, I think a lot of times these prequels are trying to sort of set things up to lead into what you knew. And if right. you don't know where they're going with it, maybe it stands on its own. But honestly, from what I've been hearing, maybe the the new movie does not really stand on its own as oh, much yeah. as more better as a supplement to the Sopranos stuff. But the Sopranos, that was like, I think the first DVDs I bought when they were coming yeah. out of those boxes. That's well, I was saying that at, like I, episodics were a thing before the, uh, the Sopranos, but I think the Sopranos kind of set the tone for the new, like the way episodics should be done. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I think they, they definitely set a new pristine format for a lot of these shows, and that like led the way for shows like Weeds and Dexter and and Lost, and like that's what now seems to be the only one of the only things that are on the biggest things that are on television. You know what I mean? It's just longevity running movies, essentially. Yeah, or like that's um, my impression has always. You can't talk about that genre without talking about The Wire, which Tro- totally, uh, yeah, know, totally. Which I think was a little. It came out after The Sopranos, also on HBO, right? I don't remember the exact years of that stuff. What came out when? But I think The Wire might have been the first thing that um, I ever used the Netflix binging, where I'd mail the DVDs back and forth as fast yeah. as I could to try and keep up with that show. Dude, I totally remember when I was in college. I was, I, I think I was, I was one of the. Uh, what there was like different ranks of Netflix you can get. And I think I was on the I was on the three DVD a week list. That's a good one to be on. Yeah, it was a- <laughs> that, sort of, that sort of binging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got the three DVDs a week and would send it in, and I was. I was punctual about that shit. Like I was always in on time and I got the, cause I mean, I'd bust those out the first day they'd come and they'd be back and I'd get my new set. My list was, cause you had the, it's still online. You still had your list of your, like your request stuff. And mine was a mile long. <laughs> I, I still pay a little bit of extra money. So I have uh, two discs at home. Cause sometimes stuff comes out that I just missed that, but Netflix will get it for me. So, but honestly, they'll sit there for a long time cause there's just so much to stream now. Okay, I want to talk about one more movie I did work on, and I didn't even realize I worked on it till I saw the movie, uh, and that's Malignant. I guess that's a big one. In I want to hear your take on this, because I haven't watched it yet, and uh, now, you know, tell me more. Oh, about I didn't like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it at all. I, I watched it with my wife. I didn't I didn't realize I, I worked on it. Uh, I day played on it. Let me okay. reiterate. <laughs> Say, I, I worked probably about a week on this, on this movie. Um... And I didn't realize that it was the same movie because when I worked on it, it had a code name and it was called Silver Cup, <laughs> which is a name of like, I guess, one of the buildings like outside of when they were going through because I think we were watching it and then they're like, oh, it's outside of the Silver Cup building or whatever. And I was like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Interesting. <laughs> and then they go like they chase like the demon person into a room like underground, which so happens has like carts from like the 1800s or something like that i it doesn't make sense but they go in and start a battle and i was there for that i was like oh fuck i worked on this movie <laughs> okay <laughs> but um i i don't want to give too much away with it it's bizarre man really? it's it's most james wan movies like they're creepy in a way that are i don't know a little bit believable not I, I should say horror movies because obviously uh, uh, Jason Momoa being a fish and, and all that stuff is is not fall into that category. <laughs> but uh, but like his his like th- they're all good horror, mostly ghost movies. Uh, but he does all the Annabelles, I think, and okay. and, and 
a lot of uh, the conjurings, like a lot of that stuff. And a lot of that stuff had good base. Like I think that's what like kind of blew him up into stardom was doing a lot of those stuff. And, and I yeah. remember this being advertised as sort of his return to horror, I think, sort of a going back to his like the movies that he did well. Yeah, time. yeah, you know, you know, like in a horror where most really good scary movies, uh, it's a lot about the mystery and a lot about like what you come up with in your mind is more scarier than what they would actually show on screen. Well, he does not do the mind thing in this. He oh. he shows a lot of the the bad guy or the creepy thing, and it does not come across like it comes across fucking bizarre and weird and doesn't make sense and they shoot every like bit of it um so it's taking some of what he's learned on like these other larger films yeah and then, and yeah. then bringing it back yeah to this horror movie. yeah yeah exactly That's, because i mean you have you have horror movies let's say you have like uh you have the conjuring you have annabelle like his creepy fucking doll which kind of is always still it doesn't move much or anything but it's like always like there and it's fucking creepy uh but then you have slasher films where you do see it, but it's not scary in the same retrospect as the other ones. Like you have the jump scares and stuff like that. But slasher films, it's more about the slashing, obviously, and the gore and cutting people up. Where the it's not those aren't as scary. They're more fun, I would say. This one kind of more you're starting to fall more into the slasher mm. uh, area. There's really like I, I I can't even remember one jump scare. And this that really got me going or anything like that. It's just, it's it's bizarre. It has a six point three on IMDb. So <laughs> all right, that'll give you That's, something about it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, Mike can gather up some of your crew, and this is something we could talk about on my show because we can spoil the shit out of it on my side. That's oh, that's, totally. That's, uh, we announce up front. You know, you, people need to watch it first. But yeah, come on and talk about that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, you saw I'll, there. I'll spoil it in a couple of episodes, but I know it's just <laughs> it just came out into theaters, so I'll give you a chance to see it. And, uh, <laughs> what the demon actually is because it is kind of a reveal. They reveal it really early, so I don't I don't think it's a little bit that crazy, but uh um all right, you want to play some games? Yeah, let's let's do some stuff. Okay. So, uh let's see. Okay, we got time. Um since you are on, I I've never I've never actually done this. So a lot of times we do a top 10 list. Um and this one's a little bit longer, so we'll we'll go through the top 20, but we'll we'll kind of like brush through the 20 and then when we get to 10, we can conversate a little bit more about it so a lot of times we do uh our guest's favorite director or the guest favorite actor but since you were an ad and i've never done this i thought it'd be interesting to do uh top 10 directed films all right just just to see what the internet comes up with and i'm gonna guess it's gonna fall somewhere along the lines of like best rated movies too because since it kind of falls a little bit in line with that but i i guess you have to think of acting uh, as a way that's kind of with an emphasis on acting. So it's got to be like some of the best films with an f- emphasis on acting. So uh, what do you think would be here? I'll, I'll open up to where we are right now. So you can see what numbers are right here. So like we're looking at E.T. as 23, Pulp Fiction is 22, On the Waterfront is 21, and Blade Runner as 20. With that seeing kind of the direction that this is from thegreatestfilms.com. So that's okay. the list. So if you want to... If you want to complain or bitch about it or anything, you can go and blame them. Um, who do you think, what movie do you think will land at number one? What's your best guess? Hmm, the movie itself that will land at number one. It's an interesting approach not to 
to be looking at as individual films rather than like a director's body of work. Right. Like if you're trying to choose the top 10 that's directors, that's what I'm trying to think. But if it's like the best, the actual film and how it's directed. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, yeah, that's why did, I went this way. I was like, I don't want to go with the top 10 directors. Let's go with the top 10 directed films because I think that's going to like put it in a. And if E.T. is number 23, that's. Uh, that's that's pretty low. I don't think Quentin's any Quentin movie is going to be even in the top five. Uh, like ones that are coming up to out to me right now, I'm thinking like uh, like maybe Stanley Kubrick. Like something from his will probably be up there. Uh, it's a good idea. I mean, I think depending on how quickly it's, or you know how recent it's been updated, it wouldn't surprise me if something like Parasite is in there. Oh, really? Just that it's dealing with it's it's on fresh on people's minds and sure one for best director and sort of deals with themes that people are thinking about. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, but again, that's a uh, but harder to say whether they'll go uh, again on this list. You know, going back to on the waterfront, like that's a. Uh, it's a classic, but then how do you rank it against some of these others? And versus, sure. like, it does a, um, you know, a director that's dealing with a lot of special effects and such. Like, we know that that's part of their job, trying to make all that work. But is that going to sort of lift it up or yeah, be something sure. that's not recognized? Here, let's let's go to ten, <laughs> and then let's make our guess. So at least we can kind of right, get yeah, a feel for like what, where they're going. Which yeah. ones we might like that uh, right, are right. knocked out? So we got Ridley Scott at number twenty for Blade Runner. Um, Okay, so number 19 right away, we have George Le- Lucas on A New Hope. Huh. Yep, yep. So see, we're, we're a little bit all over the place right now. Because <laughs> all and the stories about George Lucas is that, well, he wasn't a very good director on his own, right? Like, that was the problem. Apparently. With the yeah, stuff. that's what I heard, so, too. You know, but on the, the finished other hand, product, he, in the sense that he had a vision that he pushed through, even though nobody thought this space opera western was gonna right, be right. anything at the time true i mean that, maybe that's what puts true up in 19. I, and the fun part about this list is uh you have the best rated movies of all time kind of they have a tag next to it so oh, that's wow. like 40th and blade runner's 56 so they they there gives a little bit of a, of a pulp fiction well i guess i guess on some lists <laughs> um number 18 is the graduate by uh, mike nichols okay all right all right I could see that. I could see that. You okay. Know, I, oh, I want to I do one quick throwback to Blade Runner number 20. Yeah. You almost have to ignore everything that Ridley Scott says about the movie after the movie. Yeah, to yeah. Keep him <laughs> director, because he keeps saying, like, no, he was a replicant or he wasn't a replicant. Yeah, yeah, This totally. is my guy, that sort of thing. It's like, the movie is ambiguous and directed very ambiguously. Yeah, take commentary out of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one has surprised me, because I... I my guess was going to be close to Shawshank Redemption, uh, which is number 17 now. But I guess uh, Frank Darabont? I don't know anything else that he's done, and it's not a recognizable name to so me. So I worked with Frank Darabont. Okay. He directed The Majestic, the thing I did with uh, Jim Carrey. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and um, probably most recently, he's best known, he was the original showrunner for The Walking Dead. Oh, shit. And in fact, gotten a big legal argument with them about oh. residuals and such, about how they were calculating on the show. So. Totally, totally. Um, I, right. And Frank's a good director. Yeah, no, that was, uh, Shaw, and Shawshank Redemption is really good. Here's our first Stanley Kubrick one. Uh, Dr. Strange. This is my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie of all time, for sure. Um, that's 21st on the thing. It's amazing how many people don't know about this movie. That uh, does surprise me as well. Right? That's a, yeah, it's an amazing film. Gosh, is it my favorite Kubrick, though? That's a... I mean, I remember... I, I, I saw Clockwork Orange probably earlier than I should have yeah. at a younger age, and I, that made a real impression on me. Okay. Um, 
But uh, I mean, all of his work is just—it's great. It's for different yeah, reasons. Exactly. They're all so different movies. He's not a director that did exactly one thing. It's sort of, I, and I don't know if he'll be on the list or not. But uh, Danny Boyle is like that for me as well. Oh where right. The he he seems to direct in a manner that um, services the story in the film rather yeah. than just a sort of personal well, that, style. Yeah, that's why I think that he's going to be on this list a lot. Actually, mm. uh, number fifteen is "It's a Wonderful Life" uh, by Frank Capra. Capra. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to get my head around just again how to rank them against each other. But uh, Yeah, they're all over the spectrum here. But we haven't seen any modern, modern, modern movies yet. Not yet. Uh, Pulp Fiction, I think, is the, like, the most recent. No. Well, yeah, maybe Pulp Fiction or Shawshank even. When was Pulp Fiction done? Uh, I think Pulp Fiction. 94. So, yeah, Shawshank was the same year. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jaws. Yeah, oh, wow. that's okay. 1975. So, obviously, Steven Spielberg. Um, number 13 is Raging Bull. Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. So you have the greats up. here. I mean, they're all here. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, directed by like eight different people. Wait, wow. oh, there was a big story about that, right? I'm Didn't not they, familiar with it. Actually, I thought they kept getting fired or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. I have to. I have to look deeper into it. But that's. I've never seen. Oh, was it one, two, three, four, five directors? How on earth can you direct a movie with five directors? I mean, there's got to be. So either the cinematographers got to hold it together, or you know, just there needs to be some other right sort of um, stable entity, central force <laughs> sure. that's like keeping it together. Yeah, because uh, man, man, that's a lot of butting heads. I don't know. Uh, that shouldn't be on here. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Okay, uh, Chinatown. Yeah, there we go. Robin Polanski, of course. Chinatown's uh, amazing. Okay, with mm, I'm just okay. gonna say ten real quick. We'll say Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese. That's a great for sure. Okay. Um, with this all being said, I think 2001 is going to be up there. I think it's going to be number one. 2001 could be no, could might be at the top. I think uh, Godfather will be in there somewhere. Yeah, as far as yeah. um, uh, have we seen any Francis Ford Coppola movies not yet? yet? Not I think, yet. I wonder. Th- I wonder if uh, Apocalypse Now will get in there then. There's oh, sort of that kind of the stories there totally. and about the movie that comes out of that chaos. If they're crediting the director for that, totally. Um. I, I don't think we'll see it, but when we're talking about great direction, I really like the way Wes Anderson directs his films, right? Like that sort of, being an AD, the sort of perspective of how you bring all those tiny little elements together to make all those various scenes yeah. that he does. But again, I'm not, not sure, based on what I'm seeing so far, I probably would have recognized him lower Martin's, on this list than higher up. Martin Scorsese is very consistent. Uh, as he's gotten older through the years, like he still pumps out excellent movies which i feel like i mean you've obviously seen a decline in spielberg you've seen uh, a decline in almost everybody that kind of gets older where they kind of fallen off and moved into lesser known but martin scorsese still pumps out extremely good watchable movies to hmm. this day I, <laughs> and i agree yeah i don't know that any of the um later stuff is Going to be in the top 10 here. No, Wolf of Wall Street probably ain't going to be here. Uh, the Irishman for sure ain't going to be. I, I wasn't crazy about that one. I but was not either. No. <laughs> That's getting to the point where, you know, someone needs to tell the emperor yeah, yeah, yeah. close he has on. Not that he's naked. Yeah, but totally. Like, maybe we, you know, trim that a little totally. bit. Totally. I mean, yeah, do the movies with uh, with Leo, and then, you know, the other guys are getting a little bit too old for these roles. Uh, <laughs> Gone with the Wind is number nine. Hmm. Um, another bigger but the older movies probably just had a bunch of people like they probably just needed more people to run the ship Victor Fleming George Cuckrew and Sam Wood were the directors of that another one would have to watch with that in mind to see like what it is about the directing that's amazing yeah for real um, okay Schindler's List oh. number eight all right all right all right 
I could see that. Spielberg yeah. again. Um, number seven. There you go. There's the first Francis Ford Coppola movie. And number seven is Apocalypse Now. I think that uh, we're seeing a big emphasis on the management of serious themes. For sure. And giving the director credit for that as well. For sure. Yeah. That. I mean, I guess what the most directed movies probably like, as far as best directed ones, you have to have ones with like some serious emphasis and serious emotion that goes into it. You know, like obviously like Jurassic Park, it screams and shit, but it's not really like <laughs> not gonna have like deep like emotional crying scenes. <laughs> okay, Godfather Part Two is number six. I liked mm-hmm. Godfather Two better than I liked Godfather One. Lots of people do. And so it might be that uh, Godfather 1 was lower on the list. Maybe. Um, but I, I think it's also still possible to come up in the top five on that. Yeah? Do you think you think Godfather 1 is going to be number one? Uh, um, uh, yeah, like yeah. this is where it is. Although, again, 2001 is such a tour de force. It's, 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 I'm 100%, like, without a doubt, it's going to be at least in the top five. So, <laughs> um, Casablanca Ooh. at number five. That is uh, one of my favorite classic films. Michael Curtis. Really it nice. holds up, man. It's still like, as like an older ones, like a lot of them, if you go back and watch any, like 1940s, you watch any movie from the 1940s, it's a little bit boring. I mean, Wizard of Oz, obviously, for the nostalgia behind it, but like Casablanca, you can watch that movie front to back and it still holds up and it's still easy to watch, like without any effort. <laughs> I agree. And I, I feel the same in that, John. I feel the same way about Maltese Falcon as well. Sort oh, of uh, interesting. I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, a lot of it is, um, a lot of the great dialogue is drawn from the book. So there's like a, you know, what's first in a situation like that. But uh, another one, um, if you enjoy Casablanca, I think it's worth checking that out as well. Here, get one more refill here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, Casablanca is probably one of my favorite classic films by far, actually. There you are. Thank you, sir. All right, now we're in the top four. Let's see what we got. Ah, there's, ooh. there's my 2001. <laughs> Number four is 2001 fi- Space Odyssey. Um, all right, the, these these top three have got to be bangers, man. <laughs> all right, so who do we think might be out there? The Godfather might be out there. I, th- I have a feeling the Godfather's there. Um, man, what else could it be? We're really not doing modern stuff from what I can see. So no, I know, no, nothing no, off not of at the, all. Um, Man, what else could it be? Uh, the Godfather is the only one I'm really like jumping at. I'm trying to think if like Spielberg has anything else that's like a lot more serious. I, I, think, I don't think so. I'm trying to think of my favorite stuff of other people. Um, but you know, there's a lot of talk about what a great director Clint Eastwood is. Raging Bull has, has that been there's on? Not this been list? on. Not on our. Not on the ones we've looked at. Raging Bull could be in there. Raging that's Bull could true. be in there for sure. If there's a Clint Eastwood, it's got to be Unforgiven, but I don't think it's as good as some of the stuff we've already seen. I don't think so. I don't think any Clint Eastwood director one will be on here. Okay, let's see what number three is. Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. All right, that we makes were, sense. We didn't think enough about the classics, but yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that. Um, uh, what's the Hollywood th- theater where uh, by where Jimmy Kimmel does? The one that's right across the street from... The Chinese theater? The, across from the Chinese. There was one there. The Egyptian. That might have been. I think that's where I saw Lawrence Arabia for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. When that's a were, good one to see it. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was. It was awesome to see it there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that one makes sense. Let's see what number two is. Citizen Kane, of course. What? Where were we? Uh, sorry. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. We left Orson Welles off it all together. We we had we had blinders on. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Citizen, I mean, that might have been a guess for number one. Now I'm not quite sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was that went down as like 
they've already made like two movies about the making of Citizen Kane already. <laughs> it's already like up for awards and shit. So uh, number one has to be Godfather then. Has to. <laughs> yep, there, there it is. It was there. Francis, it was there. <laughs> right. I got all Godfather. <laughs> I mean, I'm not uh, um, trying to get hired in film history by any means. But yeah, totally. I, I don't think either one of us burnished our resumes on yeah. that for this. Um, we have time for one more game, and I, I think we're gonna do uh, the. We haven't done this on the show yet, but I, 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 I've been setting it up and trying to get. It. We just haven't gotten around to it, so I'm gonna make it a priority this time, and then we'll wrap the show up. And uh, I think we're just gonna do some uh, movie trivia. Okay. I mean, your movie, your movie uh, repertoire. Just even going through this, I can tell you got some there. You, you've seen some stuff. We will. It's. Uh, I like to see. I like to see stuff. I okay. guess what it comes down to it, and being willing to watch stuff that uh, I don't like as much as stuff that you know is going to be a classic. Sort of opens it up. Totally. That, uh, totally. That's like now, but when it comes to the trivia, all right, I'm a little nervous, but uh, I'll take my best crack at it. I think we'll be fine. So, how much? This one's from. Uh, I, I pulled this from BuzzFeed. Actually. Okay. Um, how much random and basic knowledge do you know about popular movies? And uh, I'm not just going to throw you in the wind here. This is going to be multiple choice. Oh, good. <laughs> so okay. I, I've brushed through this real quick to make sure it's 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 something that we could do and actually point up and, and, and make it okay. So and like, do you know the answers? Or are we doing it together? We're trying to figure out. Um, We're both guessing. Do you want to do it together? It's up to you. I, I'm happy to happy to be in the hot seat. But if you don't know the answers and you want to take a crack at the guesses as well. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Uh, I I I can give a guess. I'll give a guess too after you give your guess. All right. (laughs) We can do that. So the first one is uh, in Back to the Future. So in Back to the Future, what year does Marty McFly travel back in time to? And we have multiple choice in this one. So it's either 1945, 1950, 1955, or 1960. I don't know. I I'm gonna say. Uh, hmm, let me think. I'm gonna say 1955. I thought f- I thought 45, but uh, we'll click with your answer and see what goes. All right, all right. So you get one. It's 1955. <laughs> I, think, I think 45 would have had mo- more of a post-war sort of feeling to it. That's a That's the good kind of point. And, yeah, and I almost said 60, but then. Um, I just thought that's not how they would have set up the question. <laughs> no, and then when you start to get to that rock scene, I yeah. guess, then you're like, uh, it might be too close to the trigger right there. Um, okay. Uh, in Clueless, Cher was wearing a dress by which designer when she was held up? <laughs> oh, man, this one I'm screwed on. Oh, Armani? Elie? I think, is that how you say it? I don't Wait, know. Oh, sure, Versace? Or Com Dis... Garcons. Um, I have, I'm going to guess Armani just because I know that one. And, and I don't think Versace was as big then, but it could be. I'm going to think that Versace is a funnier joke. I think Armani, I affiliate more with the suits. And so I think that the, I, I don't remember, but I'm going to say <laughs> Versace because I think it would have been better for the line. Okay. Ooh. Nope. It was we Elia. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. He gets a point on that one. All right. All right. In Coming to America, Prince Akeem and Sami take jobs working as an, at a knockoff of which company? Hmm. Walmart, McDonald's, Chuck E. Cheese, Blockbuster Video. I think it's McDonald's. I'm about 100% sure it's McDonald's, actually, so I'm going to also lock that one in, too. 
And yes, we both get the point on that one. And I, I, I know that because when uh, co- did you watch Coming to America two? I did not. No, <laughs> I when Coming to America two came out, I hadn't seen the first Coming to America, <laughs> so I was like, I went back and I watched the first Coming to America. And it was like very, very like okay, super knockoff right there. Oh. Home Alone question. I got this in the bag. (laughs) Where did Kevin's family travel to in Home Alone? The first Home Alone. Is it Paris, New York, London, or Los Angeles? What do you got? Is it New York? I don't know. You don't know? I'll I'll lock you in for New York, and I'm going to say it is not. It is definitely Paris. Boom, baby. (laughs) So that makes us tied at two to two. <laughs> How many of these are there again? How many questions? I think there's 20 of them. All right. So, okay. um, or 19. I think there's 19, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number five. What is the name of the villainous teddy bear in Toy Story 3? Hugs-a-lot, Patty, Lotso, or Fitzo? Have you, did you see Sto- Toy Story 3? I did. And yeah. I actually think it's like one of the best Toy Stories. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Like, so <laughs> now I'm trying to remember the dialogue. Uh, I'm going to say hugs a lot. I think it's I think it's Lotso. Um, we'll go with your hugs a lot. Let's see. Uh, you got it. Yep. Um, it, I haven't seen it since it came out, mm. but... I, I honestly, I pro- if I if if I didn't see Lotto here, I would have gone hugs a lot too. Um, okay, I'm fucked for this one. In Batman Returns, uh, Selena Kyle became Catwoman after what happened to her? She was mugged by one of the Penguin's henchmen. She witnessed a crime and wanting to take revenge. Her boss Max Shrek pushed her out of a window. It was never really explained. Her boss Max Shrek pushed her out of a window. I'm going to say it was never explained. Yeah, you, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating myself on that one. Not a great movie. I've but, seen uh, it, but it's She gets pushed out time. a window, she lives, and then cats come up and start oh. meowing around. Her, so. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Which, there's a lot there not, not explained, so oh, you're not yeah. entirely wrong. But. Perfect. <laughs> what is the name of Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park? See, once I know that, see, that if this was not multiple choice, I'd be screwed. <laughs> Dr. Ian Malcolm. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yep, and so we'll both get that one, too. Oh, man, we're neck and neck, man. <laughs> all right, number eight. All right, all right. I'm, yeah, see, I'm guessing it's the question of what team is it. What is the name of the cheerleading team that Gabriel Union's character, Isis, mm, that doesn't. Travel well with time, I guess. Is the captain of Bring It On. The Wildcats, Clovers, the Knights, the Eagles. Did you ever watch this movie? <laughs> I have seen Bring It I On. I have seen Bring It On too. I think I saw it in the theater. That was uh, <laughs> back in the day. I, I think, I'll speak aloud for this one. I feel like Wildcats was the name of the other team that was based on the main characters. Mm-hmm. So they might be trying to trick us on this one. I think. I think. It's been a long time. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the little like, like, Burr, it's cold in here. There must be some in the atmosphere, you know? I think it was something like that. There must be some wild, maybe it wasn't Wildcats because that doesn't really roll off the tongue with that. Oh, man. Maybe I, I, I'm going to guess Knights. I'm going to say Knights. 
Um, just, you know, to keep the competition interesting, I'm going to say Clovers. Okay. I'll go with yours. Ah, oh, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> that brings you one head of... It is Clovers, apparently. Yeah, there must I, be some Clovers in the... Uh, well, I guess they're wearing... Like, you have the picture and they're wearing green, and I too. I think the picture's <laughs> a bit of a cheat on this one in the sense that... I mean, those black bars make it look like there's some sort of nudity they're blocking yeah. out. That, <laughs> I yeah. don't think that movie was like that. But I think that edge over uh, on that one costume, it's not a K or... It could be an E, but that little curve there... I think it looks a little bit like a C. So there this, we go. Uh, this Analyzation. One some, this right one had there. some visual clues. Okay, another one. This is this is this is a good one. In Mean Girls, the Plastics performed a dance to which Christmas song at the Winter Talent Show? I think I got this one. Rocking around the Christmas tree, Jingle Bell Rock, All I Want for Christmas Is You, or Last Christmas. I think it's All I Want for Christmas Is You. I think it's Jingle Bell Rock. Uh, you and got it. And we are tied up again. <laughs> um, number 10. In I mean, tank- if, <laughs> if we were doing a trivia night together, do you think we'd be fighting about it? Or do you think we would actually compliment on getting the I right answers on this? I think we would compliment because, because uh, I think we could be <laughs> sure against each other. And say, you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, yeah. I think it's Jingle Bell Rock. Like, well, I would have gone with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. I think I could convince you. <laughs> Entangled, what is Flynn Rider's real name? Oh. My wife's going to kill me because I don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene Fitzherbert, Herbert Barney, Melvin Orver, Orville Ert, or Morris Mortimer. Hmm. I feel like Eugene Fitzherbert sounds the most, I don't know, they both they all sound pretty bizarre. I'm going to go with Eugene. I'm going to follow. I think we're both going to. Let's both do that one. Let's both do that. Okay, thing. okay. Oh, we I got it. I didn't piss my wife off this time. <laughs> <laughs> Next is number 11. Okay. What is the name of the magazine that Miranda Prestley was editor-in-chief of in The Devil Wears Prada? Oh, man, it's been a long time. Fashion, runway, mode, or elegante? Hmm. I think it was mode. I'm going to go runway. Okay. Oh, oh boy. You got it. Yes. Hold ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just for the fact is I know they just, it was, it was all like, what they, they had, they had fashion shows in that movie, right? It's been a long time. I, I haven't seen a lot of these movies in a long time. Okay. There's one. This one's a little bit more recent in black Panther T'Challa, Okoye and Nakia travel to which country in search uh, of verbranium being sold on the black market? Japan, Brazil, South Korea, or England? South Korea. Um, I will go with Brazil. Yeah, you definitely watch more Marvel movies, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Black Panther was good as well, though. In that, in the yeah, ones was, that I think are worth seeing. I, I saw it when it first came out. Uh, I guess I didn't pay as close to it. <laughs> okay, I, I know Forrest Gump, though. I know Forrest Gump. Here Uh-oh. we go. Number Uh-oh. 13. Do you not know Forrest Gump? <laughs> I love that movie. In Forrest Gump, which Oscar-winning actor played Forrest's mom? Okay, I don't <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sally Field, Jane Fonda, Meryl Streep, and Diane Keaton. I I know it wasn't Meryl Streep. I will say 
I don't think it was Jane Fonda either. I will say Diane Keaton. Okay. I'm going to go Sally Field. Okay. 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 I see you. (laughs) 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 So we're at 14, so only a few left. Uh, In Girls Trip. I'm screwed. Uh, (laughs) Ryan invites her friends to take a trip to attend what festival? Essence Music Festival, Summer Jam, Coachella Valley Music Festival and Arts Festival, uh, Bonnaroo Music Festival. Hmm. Um, I'm guessing wild on this one as well. Yeah. Um, Essence. You think it's the Essence Music Festival? Yeah. Summer Jam sounds too basic. Coachella is too mainstream. And Bonnaroo, I don't see them going to Bonnaroo. Hmm. I think you're probably right. I'll go Essence as well. Yeah. That's just that was my justification. Oh right, <laughs> oh, keeping pace. Yeah, are we still tied up? Is that where we are? No, you're winning by one. Oh, am I winning by you're one? You're winning right. by one. Yeah. Uh-oh. All right, fifteen. At least it's still close. <laughs> In the Hunger Games, what district was Katniss and Pita from? District five, District nine, District twelve, or District fifteen? Hmm. I don't remember, but I'll um. You don't have to go first. You started going first, and I don't want you know. Then I just trace you and keep the win. But I'll so, <laughs> I'll give you some room and break. I'm going to go District 12. I actually was going to go District 12 also. For some reason, it just sounds right. I know it's not District 9 because that's the name of a different movie. And they're trying <laughs> to get us right there. Um, yep, nailed it. <laughs> District 12 just sounded right. Yeah. I feel like um, the Princess Diaries takes place in which fictional country? Oh boy. Um, Caledonia, Genovia, Estrovia, Maldivia. My God. Yeah, you can go first on this one. <laughs> uh, I think it takes place in... I'll say Medelvia. Medelvia. I'll go Caledonia. All right, we're both wrong we're both on that just, one. <laughs> Geno- Genovia. Only a couple more left. Uh, in Bridesmaids, what city was Lillian's bachelorette party supposed to take place in? New York, Cabo San Lucas, New Orleans, or Las Vegas? Hmm. Um, hmm. I think it was supposed to take place in New Orleans. Um, I'm going to go Vegas. Okay. It's just from... I haven't seen this movie in, you know, bachelorette parties, so... You got oh, this. boom, baby. Tied up again. In <laughs> <laughs> um, Frozen, what event brings Prince Hans and Aridella? De- 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 My wife's going to kill me again. Yeah. Elsa's coronation, Aridella's bicentennial, Anna's 18th birthday, Elsa's ball for her 20th birthday. Um. I mean, Disney movies are all about balls, right? I don't think the hmm, I don't think the ball's a bad guess, but I feel like that might have been. That is not a movie I remember very well. <laughs> but the country might have been having a bicentennial s- celebration. Okay. I think it's the. I'm going to go with the bicentennial. I'll go with the twentieth. Uh, the ball. Oh, none of uh, us are right again. It's Elsa's coronation. And uh, princesses is the other big thing that we should have put on a Disney movie and guessed yeah. on that one. Yeah, okay. So this 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 one could essentially be the tiebreaker right here. <laughs> uh, and you're probably going to get it because it's about Avengers Endgame. Uh, uh, <laughs> yep, I got and, an advantage. And finally, in Avengers Endgame, uh, when Scott, a.k.a. Ant-Man, shows up to the Avengers compound, 
how much time had passed since the snap. So just so I'm clear, the snap is is, is that when they all disintegrated? And that's that's okay. when uh, Thanos got rid of all the people. Motherfucker. Um, since you probably know this, I'll I'll guess first. Uh, I'm going to say five years. I think that's right. Yeah? Oh! Well, we ended in a tie, and that's Boom. totally cool. <laughs> we both got 11 points, so uh, I think that's a good game to keep going on. That that game was actually brought to you by a special sponsor of ours, uh, Official Clothing, um, which is a clothing brand rooted in hip-hop, uh, headed by our own very own homie casual from the Hood Diner podcast based out of Tucson, Arizona. Um, you should go over to their website, check out their awesome clothing line. They, they take really good takes on some of your favorite clothing brand, except you don't have to pay $50 to get some of it. They have awesome hats, sick bracelets, really good t-shirts. Go over to ohfishl.com. Use promo code Hollywood during checkout. You get 25% off your first purchase. Um, we're part of an inner circle podcast network. Uh, it's a great little circle of just really good, cool dudes. All of our shows are different, but, um, we all like to shoot the shit. We all like to have a good time on the show. So if you like this show, you'll like any of our network shows. You can check out the Plunge podcast based out of New Hampshire um, with my little brother, Riley. Good stuff over there. You can check out Simmons and Moore podcast out of uh, New Jersey, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Those two dudes are awesome, good, funny. Um, check out Hood Diner podcast out of Tucson, Arizona. Check out Untrained Eye down in Tampa, Florida. I was just on a couple episodes ago on the last one. They had me on to do some trivia, and I kind of destroyed, if I do say so myself. So um, you should go out and check out that episode. Check out all their episodes. It's going to be great. And we have Shit Happens When You Party Naked. Uh, no longer available on most streaming networks, but you can find them on Patreon. You just have to go over and pay a small sum, but you'll be able to get some good-ass content over there. All of those are available on innercirclepn.com. Um, we also have some exclusive shows over there. We have the Fuller Circle just with all of us. We might be bringing uh, Winter Circle back once my wife can get together and put together a slideshow for the trivias and come back and start doing it. So, you know, go over to innercirclepn, check out all that stuff. Uh, where can our people find you and your podcast and everything? Hey, thanks, Mike. So uh, the podcast is Below the Line. As I mentioned earlier, there's a couple of Below the Lines, but you're looking for a logo that looks like the Iwo Jima right. Memorial. Uh, BelowTheLine.biz, that's B-I-Z, is our website. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, we're at Pod Below the Line. And on Facebook, we're at Podcast Below the Line. Awesome. Thanks good for uh, joining us today. I know. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I was able to catch you just on a a flight out here just when we just so happened to be going back and forth. It was cool to just like, all right, cool. Nice to meet you. Get in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my guy had a lot of fun. Uh, Serendipity, we'll call it. And uh, really, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a good time. And I mean, you can find us also, uh, uh, you can find us on Instagram. We're at Failing Hollywood. Uh, We're on Facebook also, Failing Hollywood. If you want to email or leave us a message, we're at failinghollywoodpodcast at gmail.com. But you can also call 818-928-5379. Uh, leave a message, uh, ask us a question. If you have any questions about the industry, if you want advice, uh, yeah, leave us a message. We'll air it on the show. We'll answer it and we'll have some fun. Um, this has been another great episode of failing Hollywood until next week. 